You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Warning. This episode contains spoilers for the entire Mission Impossible franchise, up to and including Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, and pop culture. In this episode, Strike Watch. In previously on Unnamed Spy Series. In the airlock, we're talking Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 with our special guest, Shay Serrano. Coming up next, Strike Watch. Okay, why are we calling it Unnamed Spy Series? One, because, you know, we're trying to uh, adhere to uh, the uh, SAG-AFTRA stipulation not to promote stuff created by strikers. And, of course, the SAG uh, union, the union that represents actors, went on strike uh, July 13th. I've seen them out there on the lines. It's great to have them. Uh, It's great to have their energy out there. It's great to have their ability to communicate out there. And I just wanted to say one thing because it's been bothering me. So the president of SAG is Fran Drescher, one Fran Drescher of the nanny fame, who in the days before the strike had kind of been drug over the coals for going to, where was it, Venice to do some sort of thing, uh, promotional thing that she's a brand manager for something, I forget what. Uh, and then you, t- I've, you know, you see comments in various uh, either articles or on podcasts where people are like, "Oh, you know, but sure, you know, like the the there's, you know, the, there's a lot of uh, working writers and actors, but the top level, they're all like really rich, you know. It's like Fran Drescher's rich and like Jennifer Lawrence is rich. All these people are rich. I, that's true. Here's what I need to say. Um, you know, on this podcast, people have heard us talk about like why we like the stuff we like. Why do we like Marvel movies? Why do we like comic book movies? Why do we like comic books in general? And it's that thing of uh, that, that wish fulfillment of wanting to uh, interact with a story in which the person who is powerful, who's rich, who is influential, who is strong is actually defending people who are weak. And that's what Mm -hmm. legitimately is happening in this strike. Fran Drescher doesn't need to, give a shit about background actors who are mm-hmm. having their likeness who is, is 
the AMPTP has proposed that they be able to just scan their likeness and then use it willy-nilly without any consent for perpetuity, thus cutting out the whatever they would have spent on mm-hmm. uh, background act- actors, a.k.a. extras. They don't need to fight for extras. They're doing it because of this fight. People like, uh, you know, Kenya Barris and Mike Shore don't need to don't they're going to make their money. They don't need to fight for a bunch of, uh, you know, baby writers and and lower class writers, working class writers who have just like got into this business and are working three and four and five different gigs to put it together. But they are. Mm -hmm. That's what's cool about this. Yes, there are rich people involved in the strike, the top levels of SAG, of course. Tom Cruise and fucking mm-hmm. Cillian Murphy, Matt Damon, and who... Matt Damon and Jennifer Lawrence—they're all rich, but they are in this with the extra. They're fighting for the extras and for the extras, so that mm-hmm. they will still have a job, so that there will still be a lower rung of the ladder that people can climb. And if they're talented and fortunate and lucky enough, maybe they can get to the level they're at. Yeah. If the AMPT proposals go through, were to go through, that ladder would just not exist anymore. There, exactly. there would be there would be no way for a person breaking into the industry to get to the levels of success that are already hard enough to get to mm-hmm. that other people that have made that journey in the past enjoy. So I think for me, what's really cool about this strike, it's it sucks on so many levels. But what's really great about it, what's great about a union is you have the most successful, richest most wealthy, most known members of this union fighting for the lesser known, the less Absolutely. successful, so that they can can continue to make a living at this. I think that's what's great. I agree. As our friend Danny Fernandez has said regularly, the union is for the most vulnerable. That's right. I saw a really heartbreaking but vital fact and tell this to anyone who says that thing about rich actors rich writers millionaires there's many incredible stories out there by people who are well known who actually don't earn the money but this fact i always think about you need to earn twenty six thousand dollars a year to be able to get health care through sag aftra and 87 percent of the membership does not earn that money they do not earn that much and if you take jobs away from extras, from background actors, from people just walking on, guess what? You're going to have even less people able to just afford uh, going to the doctor. Yeah. Uh, it's cruel. And that's it's residuals insane. too. Yeah. Taking it's, away it's, residuals stops people from being able to earn out to get health care. It's insanely cruel. Um, and we've got a bunch of links in the show notes. Uh, if you want to help out, there's the Entertainment Community Fund, which supports the uh, – People who are not in SAG, not in the WGA necessarily, you know, the the tradespeople, the craftspeople who are also impacted Mm -hmm. by the strike, you can help support them there. There's other links there that uh, you'll find really useful. Uh, And power to the strikers. Yeah, and we'll be here talking about it on Strike Watch as we continue working out what's going to happen with the strike and making sure that people know how to support the strikers and be in solidarity with them as this continues probably for a fair amount of time. Just one more thing. You know, I've had other people argue to me, oh, you know, if the actors who just want to work, like who have a gig and like they depend on this, you know, if they had had more sway in this, then there would be no strike. No, no. They are the ones who who people at the top level, again, the Matt Damons, the Jennifer Lawrences are supporting in this strike. Who they listen to for this to happen. 
It is for them so that they can get paid fairly, so that they can continue to have a job, so that they can not have their digital likeness just out there in the world doing jobs that they would have been paid for. Um, And that they may have said no to. Yes. Because you don't need consent. They could put you in any movie with any agenda and you would never be paid and they would own your digital likeness for life. I mean, it's, it's nightmarish. It's literally stuff. a. It's literally a black literally mirror. a new episode. Literally of black, black mirror. mirror came out this yeah, season. Yeah. That's very much about this. But yeah, we're in support of the strikers, and I hope they get what they need. Hot labor summers here, baby. Next up, Mission Impossible. First up, the unnamed spy series, which is also the Mission Impossible franchise, and joining us to talk about the fantastic Mission Impossible franchise is four times New York Times best-selling author, <laughs> showrunner and creator of the Primo television program. Critically acclaimed Primo television program. Say it, say it all. Say all the pieces. <laughs> and the upcoming Action Hero Scouting Report ebook. <laughs> Please welcome to the program the one and only Shay Serrano. Shay Howard. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, what up? What's going on, y'all? Hey. I'm just getting ready to talk about Mission Impossible. I'm so what? excited. I am so excited. Seven Mission Impossible movies. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, there there are seven movies. <laughs> so let's just jump into it uh, and run them down movie by movie. Quick recaps and our f- general thoughts. Let's start with Mission Impossible, 1996, Woo! directed by Brian De Palma. The original idea behind these movies uh, that Cruz has was different auteur every single time. And they stuck with it for a while until they eventually like, fuck it, let's just make epics. So we start with De Palma. Ethan Hunt and his uh, Mission Impossible team, led by IMF veteran Jim Phelps, are on a mission in Prague. An agent named Golitsyn is attempting to steal the CIA knock list from the embassy. Ethan is disguised as Senator John Walzer, the chair of the Armed Services Committee. Now, I need to stop here. Let's how, does, how does this how does this work? Does Walter know or does Walter not know? Because Walter's like on a fishing trip, so he's out of action, and yeah, nobody like, will they, know that he's not in Prague. But like, how did they just time it right? And also, let's talk about this because we need to bring out. He's not just disguises him; he's wearing the mask. Now, this right. is going to be a recurring <laughs> part of the Mission Impossible lore: is the masks. This is the introduction so, like, is going, to the masks. Yeah, is he going and voting? Is he right. like spending time with people who think that he's him? Like, how does he go to the, the Senate? <laughs> yeah, like how long has he been playing him? <laughs> is that is that him on the on the on firing line with what's his name? Like, is that <laughs> I, I? How deep does he get with this? They don't want us to know. Shay, any it's thoughts all about plausible the deniability? I don't think it matters. That's my thought on this part. <laughs> I think once you dig. Two inches beneath the sand, it gets real shaky underneath there. So we just keep it cruising. He's got a mask on. <laughs> You're just like he's another I'm guy for ten seconds. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the mask. Do you love I the mask? It's the, the best masks. part. I My never get tired bit. of a mask gag. I never get tired of it. When you watch this movie, which is like it's quite, it's very De Palmerish. I love it. It's very serious. Yeah. It's very noiry. The masks are played like very straight, and you're like, "Whoa, this is like quite cool and unexpected," and it's like a little bit weird. But you would never expect after watching this movie that that would become the recurring bit for like the whole yeah, franchise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're so effective. I fall for it every single time. Every single mm-hmm. time. I've, there's not been one mask reveal where I was like, "Oh fuck, they got me." <laughs> 
<laughs> and they've gotten trigger with it, which we will get to. Okay, so the knock list goes out, gets out in the open because the operation goes sideways. Everybody fucking dies, except for Ethan and his fellow agent Claire, who is also Jim's wife. What a weird dun, flex dun, dun. to bring your wife on secret missions that you lead, but that's okay. That's an HR violation in my book. That's fine. Hunt meets with Director Kittredge of the IMF, thinking he's about to get extracted, but then Kittredge is like, no, you're a double agent. I think this is all your fault. Uh, and in fact, this entire mission has been a mole hunt to catch you, and the knock list that was stolen is fake. Ethan blows up the aquarium and kills all the fish and leaves. Rude. But here's a scene that I love. Early internet scrolling. Ethan then goes on the internet. It's 1996. Ethan goes on Usenet forum groups. <laughs> <laughs> and to find the arms dealer, Max, and he finally makes contact with Max after spending all night Max. just being com. like, Max.com. <laughs> and he makes, he finally like gets to meet with Max, who immediately is like, I'd fuck you. You're pretty hot. What's your deal, uh, Mr. Guy that I met on the internet? And Ethan's like, here's my, here's my deal. I will get you the real knock list. Give me $10 million, but also give me some of it right now so I can hire some guys. And Max is like, mm, that seems weird, but okay, let's do it. Uh, how can anybody say uh, no to Ethan Hunt? And it also sets up a recurring theme throughout this series, which is people just get crushes on Ethan Hunt. Max mm -hmm. is like, wow, Ethan Hunt. Hold on a second. Hottie Ethan Hunt. And that is the case throughout the series. Yeah, Max can sense that were it like 20 years earlier, she is Ethan's type, a.k.a. a skinny white blonde. A brunette. <laughs> if you're a skinny white brunette, he's going to fall in love with you and he doesn't even need to kiss you or That's anything. It. Like He's just going <laughs> to see you and he's ready to die for you. And it's like are, the purest on-screen romance. Are you a brunette who is involved in something shady, arms dealing, pickpocketing, international jewel heising? Then Ethan thinks he can change you. And he has absolutely <laughs> developed a crush on you. Okay, so uh, Ethan then uh, goes off and hires his team, Luther Stickle, the net ranger, expert hacker, only man to fucking... Phineas Freak. Phineas Freak, only man to hack NATO ghost comms, which he does not admit that he did. And French dirtbag Franz Krieger, one of the great characters <laughs> from this series. Uh, Ethan's team then in what is, I think, the iconic set piece of the series that has set the template for all the various uh, action gags that have followed, breaks into CIHQ and, uh, you know, uh, repels down from the ceiling in complete silence, the nod to the great heist movie Rafifi, mm -hmm. to steal the knock list from the air-gapped computer. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's it so lasts like tense. 10 minutes. It's so good. They do a great job with, like, they have all these really over-the-top moments where it's like Franz Krieger like lets him go and he's almost hitting the ground. And then it's like two sweat droplets are going to drop on the ground and let them know he's there. But he's like, actually, no, I'm going to catch him. And also they give a guy food poisoning and like a big major plot point of this is that a guy's just shitting himself the whole time, <laughs> like which is like weird. Because it will be like super tense and you're like, oh shit, it's happening. And then the guy's just like, oh no, I'm going to puke. I'm going to puke. And then, but yeah, it's, it's so good. Also, I'm upset. Like in, when I rewatched this on Letterboxd, my review was just like, 
Tom Cruise's little glasses because I always think about him putting <laughs> on those ti- tiny 90s glasses to do the hacking. It's so good. Shay, what did you think when you first saw this scene? Uh, I felt the same way that Rudgy felt watching it in a theater just being like my stomach was crawling out of my mouth. Like mm-hmm. it was completely quiet. You've never seen anything yeah. like that. You were so used to all of the big, whatever the big action moment was in the big action movie was the the like loudest, yeah, most mm-hmm. startling part. And this one, they just, they did like the photo negative of that. And it was, yeah. it was so effective. I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about the glasses as well. I don't understand why he put them on. He never wears them. <laughs> he never wears ever. them. Because <laughs> <I mean, laughs> of the camera. He needed the camera so they could oh, see yeah, what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, see what he was doing. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, you know what? That does bring me to another thing that I think these movies do. <laughs> yeah. this, these movies do something so well. And it's definitely the thing I like the most about them is like the tech and like the spy craft elements are yeah. so fun. Like when he blows yeah. up the fish tank, he blows it up with like explosive bubble gum. gum. Yeah. And you Red get light, like a green whole light. sequence. Exactly. Asta lasagna, don't get any on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you get this really good, before every sequence, they give you a good like 10 minutes of like, and then we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this. But it doesn't feel redundant when you actually see it come to life. It just feels like you understand that. and a part of the planning and the plotting. And Shay, you actually bring up something really good about like, I think that sequence that I never really thought about in this way, it is like an inversion of a big action sequence. And then when you get to like the later movies, Christopher McQuarrie does something that inverts it again, where he puts the massive action sequence at the beginning, Mm -hmm. which is like the opposite of everything we know about blockbusters. So in that way, the franchise has always been kind of like twisting our expectations of like what we see in an action movie. I really like uh, during this, this heist, it's a small little thing, but it's, like secretly my favorite part of the the whole first movie when they're breaking in before before they like repel in before they remove the 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 grate they they use like a special little tool that has a little tiny hook on it that catches the screw that's getting unscrewed yeah, they, yeah. so it doesn't fall <laughs> like so good i i love how i love how they just well, they'll give you the most ridiculous possible piece of technology but then also like mm-hmm. they, they just slide in some very practical little things in there yeah and it always makes me happy that part especially you watch the screw unscrewing and you're like, oh it's gonna drop into the little cup drops right in there they're good we're safe we're good. <laughs> they thought of everything they thought of everything <laughs> i also love that krieger couldn't have just let the rat run by just let him cruise <laughs> no, by no 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 but that's a, that's like that's one of the weirdest things about this movie that i think made it so great is like there are weird moments of realism. Like in a cooler version of that scene, you would never, you would just have it like, I'm cool, I'm staunching it out. But he like gets freaked out, drops him. Like there's these kind of real human moments. Krieg is also fucking struggling to pull him yeah, back he's up. he's having a hard like, time. Like this is not some yeah, he's MCU a really, situation. Really hard like he's looking his age. <laughs> he, it's like me trying to pull someone up on a rope. It's never going to happen. And I think those... That mixture of like the bombastic, like you're breaking into Langley, like that's never yeah. going to fucking happen. But with those little moments of realism, it makes it like edge of your seat filmmaking. So uh, 
Krieger, after the heist, Krieger then tries to extort Ethan because he thinks that he has the actual disc. But then Ethan does a wonderful David Blaine thing where he's like, oh, you mean this disc? And then he's like fucking doing close-up magic and shit. Which, by the way, is a major point of the new (laughs) movie. There is so much close-up magic. (laughs) We will get to it. But yes, the latest movie has a lot of Ethan on close-up magic. So he does all this close-up magic and then Krieger's like, "Don't, don't mess with my money. You better watch it. And then he throws out that disc. But guess what? That was the disc. And Luther <gasps> freaks out. Even uh, then decides, well, okay, like before I can um, meet Max, um, I, I I need to go to this. I need to, like, uh, go to uh, a train station to make a phone call. But then when he's there, uh, Jim Phelps shows up and he's back to the from the dead. And he's like, hey. Uh, yeah, I just barely got out of Prague. I've been on the run this whole time, and maybe I can help you find the mole. And oh my God, you've been looking for Max. You got the necklace. Holy shit, Ethan, this is fucking sick. And meanwhile, the whole time, Ethan is like, "You killed the entire team. I know it was you, bitch. It's yeah, 100% he fucking knows. You. He knows. Mm-hmm. And I and will, we know. And I will say, when this movie came out, I remember reading reviews of it, and a lot of them were like, "It's confusing." Now, from for my money, these movies have only gotten more confusing. <laughs> Which is to say, I'm not really confused by them, but I. But if you think about the plot, all of a sudden you're like, wait, what are we doing? If you but, laid it out in bullet points, right, right, but it this, might seem confusing. I think that those original critiques of Mission Impossible One were about this particular scene because Jim shows up and they start debriefing, and then Ethan is. They show this flashback where Ethan is imagining Jim killing his entire team, mm-hmm. and I think that really fucked people up where they were because I'm. Just kind of instinctively was like, oh, this is Ethan imagining what happened. But I think everybody got really confused by that one scene. I think think it's like open for interpretation because it's John Voight, Jim, and he's telling you what happened and what the mole did. But the movie is showing you that it was actually him. Right. And And it's clearly Ethan's fault. Ethan is also meant to be understanding as he says it that it's him so it's like a really interesting weird but also that's very De Palma every De Palma movie is mad confusing he makes a weird ass movie I think in I think in that one they set that up when he talks to Kittredge earlier when he walks in oh he walks in and he's like and he clocks everybody and like that's what mm-hmm. that's a, yeah. For me, that was the first time you got the sense that oh, Ethan Hunt is like a really special kind of person. Yeah, he's got a photographic yeah, his mind memory. Works differently. That he was he able can to do memorize this. bank codes. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like of, yeah. So when he does, when we see him do that earlier, we know oh, that that, that was the actual scene that was really mm. happening. So when we see it, with, when we see it with John I, Voight, in my head, I was like, oh, this is the real thing. This is what's yeah. actually happening. Yeah. It's a great call out because one of my favorite bits in this entire series is when they unveil some crazy little talent that Ethan has, like when in... (laughs) (laughs) This man is talented. In uh, Ghost Protocol, when he draws Cobalt like a perfect police sketch of Cobalt on his hand. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen this man? (laughs) Yeah, have you seen this guy? Anyway, okay. So Ethan (laughs) goes to the meet. It's, It's on the channel train linking England and France. Uh, Ethan then uses a Phelps mask, wonderful mask gag to trick Claire, who Ethan has like probably been fucking into. Earlier on in the franchise, I feel like one and two, they're like, Ethan has sex. Right. Ethan fucks. But after that, they've dialed it back. Yeah, they've dialed it back. He falls in love. So Ethan, uh, he gets uh, Claire to admit that she knows that Jim is the traitor and she's trying to 
you know, talk fake Jim into not killing Ethan, but it, Ethan removes his glasses like, hi, it's me. Then real Jim shows up. Uh, Ethan puts on his glasses, the wonderful little glasses with that wonderful little, I can't believe that Jim didn't just fucking shoot him. Like, why are you reaching in your pocket, man? Like, I guess he just really wanted to see what Ethan that's was such a, That's such a good move when you do it. This happens all the time in action movies. They're like, wait, yeah. and they re- they just do it slow. And it's like, it takes yeah, yeah, away, yeah, yeah, it takes yeah, away yeah. all of the threat. <laughs> He's like very yeah, clearly about to bust time. you and he just yeah. real slow up on his head and you're watching like, oh, fuck. Damn it. <laughs> so now, so he puts on the camera glasses and now Kittredge knows that Jim Phelps is alive, which was going to be Jim's whole thing. He was going to get away with the money and no one's ever going to know that he was really alive. Uh, and then Phelps shoots Claire. She dies Fridged. in... Fridge she dies in Ethan's <laughs> arms, and Ethan is like, uh, I, "You were gonna betray me, but whatever. I probably love you." Phelps then plans to escape by helicopter with Krieger as the pilot, but Ethan is Ethan. He hooks the helicopter to the train, kills Phelps, kills Krieger, and then later, at the end of the movie, Ethan's like, "You know what? I'm not gonna do this IMF shit anymore. It's getting too crazy. I'm gonna settle down. I'm gonna fucking get out of here. I'm gonna have a private life." And then he's on the flight home, and I love the way you watch tech evolve over this movie. They come yeah. with those little mini VHSs, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is probably pretty like a baller in 1996. Like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, uh, "Would you like to watch a movie? How about the move? You know, the uh, the cinema of I forget which country it was this time, but it was it's clearly like the Caribbean an IMF. or something. Yeah, it was." Clearly an IMF passphrase, and guess what? Ethan is back in. Our thoughts, our, our roundtable thoughts of about Mission Impossible, the, the initial movie that launched the series, Shay. This is the best one in the franchise. It's a banger. I feel that way. This it's is the number cool one, banger. the number one movie. It to, it to me, it does all of the things right. It sets in place everything. We get, I love how they do the thing in the very beginning of like, Ethan Hunt belongs on a team. This is his team. And then they just kill him all instantly. It's so much fun to watch him set up his new team. It's so much fun watching him do do all of the pieces. Again, you mentioned the the Langley heist is a number one set piece across the the history of the franchise. Tom Cruise has never looked hotter. They introduced the mask. (laughs) He looks so great. It's like the close-up magic thing I thought is such a like, Close-up magic is the dorkiest possible thing. Yes! It's so dorky. They, I, and I, it tells you so much about Ethan what does, outside what of IMS. That's hours like, and hours and hours it. of I practice. practice, yeah. And I was so, practiced it so, much. so happy know, when he did it. Like, it's just perfect. It's perfect. It's a perfect movie. I know. I know what you're thinking. I was up there. He was down here. He's just he's I also just really, so good. So good. And this is a, a, a small thing and something that you pick up on after having watched all of the Fast and the Furious movies 25 mm-hmm. times, they never shy away from Ethan Hunt being short. Like when he's... Yeah. Like never. They never do any camera tricks. They just... In every movie. He, and he's always like, he's when he taps him on the head with the with the thing, he's way up here tapping him. Yeah. And like, this guy fucking mm-hmm. rules. This is the best. I love this shit. Yeah. It's the best one. They also... Another thing they do, to your point, Shay, is they show him walk out of doors full body... Like mm-hmm. you can measure him against the door if you wanted to stop yeah, it and yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Always hide that. Rosie, shit. your thoughts? Mission Impossible, the first one. I think it's so great. I love how it like melds the weird noir styly yeah. stuff that De Palma does so well. There's loads of shots that are just like drenched in reds and purples, like mm-hmm. you're watching like a Giallo horror movie or something. Yeah. It's totally unexpected and strange when you watch it in 
contrast with like the contemporary 90s like action canon and also as well like it does a good job of distilling what people liked about the show like the cold opens where you're like putting the team together that's the beginning of the episodes of the show now i only know that because there is a show that i love that also has that opening which is the street fighter cartoon and i was like (laughs) i need to know if this is like i was like i need to know if this is like something mission impossible movies ripped off from street fighter or if street fighter ripped off from the tv show and they ripped off from the tv show but like i love the way that at the beginning of every movie it's like ethan's just chilling and someone turns up and they're like Here's like a little special message for you. Mm-hmm. You got to go on your trip. It would be really easy for a studio to say like don't do that. That's a TV thing. Like that's something you do every episode to show where the character is. You don't need to do that in a movie. But I love that they kind of stick to that. Also it sets up I really love the cold open and then the big credits with that Lalo Schifrin kind yeah. of incredible score which by the way I do feel like if that score wasn't so iconic these movies probably wouldn't have gotten to seven because just every time you hear it you're just like yeah like you want to be screaming (laughs) in the movie theater like the little things going off yeah I love this movie it's so watchable and you know what for a movie made in 1996 it's very cool it's very cool like it's still very very cool cool cool. and it's uh, I agree with everything you said I think it's uh, for me it's the best in the series of what is a very very excellent film series, and, yeah, I think that and it's great. the most and it's the most rewatchable one. It's the one that I go mm-hmm. back to uh, the most. X Ray Vision will be back. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And we're back. And that brings us to the year 2000's Mission Impossible 2, John Woo on the ones and twos this time. And I will say John Woo had a wonderful moment in the 90s coming over from Hong Kong action, bringing that style. And this movie is the moment where, you know... I think this is probably the worst movie, although it's not on the worst one on my list. And yet there are moments where his style is like transcendent. And then there's Mm -hmm. moments where it's like a Telenova crossed with a cologne commercial. Look, I just have to say, (laughs) I'm like, I am a number one John Woo stan. And I I do love this movie. I can understand this objective discussion of like what's bad or not bad. But I think you're right. There's certain things that translate really, really well here from John Woo's style. And there's certain things that don't. And also, I think working within like a franchise space is very different because if you watch something like Face Off, like one of the best movies ever made, just fucking insane yes. shit. Yes. When you have that whole full freedom to just explore and tell the story how you want and not be worried and it's R-rated, John Woo just goes crazy. Like I saw that in a movie theater recently and it was literally, it was at Vidyots and it was literally a sold out screen and it was like watching the Avengers. Like the way those drops hit, but you can't necessarily have that same 
space and scope when you're making like a franchise movie with a star. So I think you're right. Some of it is transcendent and you get those crazy movies that I think this might be the movie with the most doves. I think yes, he really bought the dove sure. count. Yes. Yes. Yeah, John Woo <laughs> um, loves a dove. He loves a dove and this he really bought the dove count. But like, I, I also think you make a good point. Like some, some of it doesn't translate it's, as well. It's, I'll get to it, but it's in, uh, I, I will say that there's certain things here that are in bad taste. Anyway, so uh, one of uh, Ethan Hunt's contacts is a scientist named Vladimir, who only knows Ethan by codename Dimitri. And he tells Ethan that the Biosite Pharmaceuticals Company has a plan to release a supervirus called Chimera. So it can extort the world for a cure uh, with its other product, Bellerophon. He then injects himself with the virus in order to steal it, to give it to Ethan along with the antidote, which he also has. But when But when they meet, Ethan is actually rogue IMF agent Ambrose. <gasps> Ambrose plans are, I, here's what's crazy about this movie. Amber, you actually don't know what the fuck Ambrose wants until like the end of the movie. The end of the movie? The irony is, why the plan? is he stealing this? Dude, the plan is actually like pretty legit. So like, why didn't they just bring it up like earlier on in the movie? Also, I just, I just think this cold open is so good because that first movie sets up the mask and it's a tool that allows them to win and then this movie you get this really slick kind of almost like smarmy tom cruise performance as ethan and then the mask is the thing with sean ambrose pretending to be ethan hunt the mask is the thing that then sets off the conflict i just think that's such a cool narrative choice so Ambrose, again, Ambrose, no idea why he's doing this, but... Just wants uh, a disease. Yeah, he just wants to have it. He'll l- later have a plan, and I'll go into, like, why it's weird that he then has a plan. Ethan gets put... <laughs> Ethan's on vacation in Utah, just, like, rock climbing without any harnesses or fucking anything. Free climbing, baby. Like, an absolute psycho. How good and is the cinematography in that shot, though? It's wonderful. Like, when it's going all around, like, You know, John Woo was losing... John Woo was, like, losing his shit shooting this. This is like the greatest moment in John Woo's life. Anyway, he then gets uh, one of those self-destructing messages, which is delivered by helicopter, which shoots a pair of Oakley (laughs) sunglasses at him, which he then puts on to tell him the message. Unbelievable! Is this the craziest message delivery of the entire series? (laughs) Yes, it really is. Because all the other ones are like pretty normal. Here's Here's a little tiny VHS. Here's a here's an album you put on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are are some sunglasses that if you don't remove them immediately, you're blind. (laughs) They will blow up. This is is actually like the most zeros. Obviously, like it's the most it's 2000. So it's a very 2000 movie. You have like the metal, like reimagining of the soundtrack. I think that there was like a Metallica video where they were like playing on top of the rock in Utah that was like connected to the movie. And the Oakley sunglasses is like, it's so, so two thousand. You just can't even imagine that somebody was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Literally, like Hype Williams was like, "Get me a pair of those for every music video I do for this decade." When they shoot that moment, though, even more than the even more than the rock climbing, which is shot in this really like very John Woo way, where it's just like yeah. swooping around mm-hmm. and whooshing yeah. in and out of everything. But even they shoot him taking the glasses off and throwing them in a very dramatic, stylized. Where you're like, oh, every single moment is going to be like this, no matter yeah. what. He's going to walk mm-hmm. into rooms and it's going to do this. Like, it's dude, it yeah. sets up the language instantly. 
that's so true. And ha- there is like so much slow motion in this movie. Oh so my! As it's John Woo, it wouldn't be John Woo <laughs> so without much. the slow mo. People are just like talking, and it's slow mo. Like yeah. it's unbelievable. <laughs> he was like, "I'm doing it." So the message on the glasses uh, is read by the voice of the new IMF director. <gasps> and the new IMF director is Anthony Hopkins in one of the great money grab roles of all oh time. Oh, my God. I think, like, the shows <laughs> up, gets the money, and leaves. He was he was on set for, like, I don't know, eight hours, and he was if fucking not. done. <laughs> Incredible shit from my guy, Anthony Hopkins, who tells Ethan that uh, he tells him all about what Ambrose has done. He's stolen the, the, the virus, all that shit. And he says, OK, what you need to do is you need to recruit Ambrose's ex-girlfriend, Naya, a globetrotting jewel thief. So Ethan is like, OK, I'm, I'm on it. I put my team together. Ethan then goes to recruit Naya by, in order, f- like staring at her over a flamenco dance. Fucking up which her is in robbery, slow motion. which is in slow mo. <laughs> fucking up her robbery, and then like trying to run her off the road. <laughs> also, can we talk about the fact, you know, we're talking about Ethan's like amounts of cover that he has. Yeah, yeah. He's like somehow he is already undercover as the head of security of the place that she's trying to rob. <laughs> so like yeah. he can like fuck around with a robbery because they just think that he's like in charge of security. Yeah, like, oh, this like, was a that's test. That's a lot of planning, bro. So, of course, after Ethan almost runs her off the road multiple fucking times, Naya falls in love with Ethan and they have sex. <gasps> Only sex scene, I think. In the in entire the franchise. Where you see them in bed. Ethan then tells Naya that, okay, here's, listen, you need to get back together with your ex-boyfriend Ambrose because he's got this super virus and we need to figure out what's going on. Uh, and she's like, what, really? And he's like, yes. Ambrose then goes to Australia to extort the CEO of Biosite. And later, Ambrose, using another Hunt mask, figures out that Naya is working for Hunt. He gets her to admit it. And meanwhile, Hunt figures out that Ambrose doesn't actually have the virus. So Ethan figures if he can break into Biosite, kill all the virus, the whole problem is solved. But then Ambrose, who just, like, hates Ethan for I don't know why, but he fucking really hates him. Is like, I know that Hunt is going to do this because Hunt loves doing shit like this and we're going to ambush him there. So Biocyte is creating super viruses and their vent goes straight to the atmosphere. The vent, in the, the vent in the top of the lab goes straight up into the atmosphere. What the f- People, what are we doing? No planning, no planning. Um, so Ethan kills all the virus. Has a shootout with Ambrose's people. There's some incredible slow-mo here. But then Ambrose (laughs) reveals that he has Naya and he knows that Naya's been working for her and he throws her, he shoves her in there and is like, he slut shames her. Dude, he compares I, her to a monkey at one point. Is, is like, yeah, very bad. Very bad stuff from Ambrose. Also as well, like, I I love Danny in this role. She does it, she plays it really well. But like, she really does get the shit end of the There's nothing for her to do here. Not even that. She gets like, it's before they really started writing great action in for the women of this franchise, which later on does happen very, very well. But also like the U.S. government, a shadow agency of the U.S. government essentially coerces her into getting back with her 
abusive (laughs) ex-boyfriend who has like a crazy fucking virus. And and Ethan didn't originally hire her for that. He's like, oh, it's just because you're a cool like Catwoman style thief. We're going to be thieving stuff together. And he's like, actually, like, can you just go and sleep with your ex? Like, I'm chill with it. Ethan (laughs) at one point says, listen, if you got to, if you got to fuck him again, you got to. Like, there's a world's on the line here, which is why I say. And then Sean says the same thing to her yeah. in Ethan Mask to double down. Which is why I say there's there's something distasteful about this movie and it's this stuff. I love uh-huh. my guy John Woo, but my guy John Woo has always been – he's got two things that he does with his female characters. One, this over-the-top romance soap opera-ish almost plot. You see it in The Killer. You see it in all, all many of his Hong Kong movies where like the hard-boiled uh, mm-hmm. anti-hero just f- like falls head over heels in love with this weak woman who can't protect themselves. And this is this is Tandy Newton's character here. And then uh, and then secondarily, to your point, does not give them much to do except be like a d- damsel in distress, essentially. So this is John Woo's M.O., sadly. Yeah, I- I and would I, live, and it doesn't translate well. I would love for the day like he was going to do that female version of the killer with yeah. Lupita Nyong'o. Like I want to see something like that because I know yes. he can do it. But yeah, I think that Tandy brings enough to this character that you're still invested in what's going on with her. But the script does not give her that, and like the way these dudes treat her. But I will say, I will <laughs> say, I definitely had like a funny Mandela effect or Manda like with this man. Because, like, I was sure that she died. I was like, they just kill her off because it's Mission Impossible. <laughs> but she actually doesn't die. Oh, she's good. So she's like, I will get to that. Hold on, I'll get to it. That's the one thing the movie does do. <laughs> I'll get to it because I'm very excited to get to that part of it. Okay, so Naya, Ambrose uh, uh, is like, go get that last, very last vial of, of Chimera that exists. Go get it and bring it to me. And then uh, Ethan's like, uh, you know, doesn't know don't what do to it, do. Bro. Don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> and Naya's like, ha, I figured the way out. I'm going to inject myself with the last. Why didn't she just stamp on it? So, well, she, because I guess that would destroy. I don't, it's a good question. There's a lot of questions <laughs> like that. So she injects herself with the virus and now Ethan knows he's got 20 hours to save her life. And now Ambrose knows that the only way he can like go through with whatever, again, whatever his plan is, we don't actually know at this point what his plan is, <laughs> is to keep her alive because She's got the virus in her body, which why can't you just take her blood and make more of the virus? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't necessarily know. Like his little typhoid Mary plan. I think it comes more from a place of vengeance because he's like, you'll always be remembered for being like patient zero, like the worst patient zero. But surely I thought this would actually be good for him because now he would have a living version of the virus. Like, and he could, you know, take it to Biosite and get whatever he wanted. But sure, Sean Ambrose, he's he's an unhinged guy. His plans, none of us can, (laughs) normal people cannot understand him. Uh, you mentioned Ambrose's new plan, which is to just let Niall walk around and get everyone sick. And, <laughs> sure. then, he, and then, so now he unveils his plan. Let Niall walk around. She gets everyone sick. I give the antidote to Biosite in exchange for like 10,000, 10 million shares of stock. And then I sell the stock, which will go through the roof because Biosite has the only antidote. And I become a billionaire. Okay, but like Biosite was already going to release... The virus, so why didn't you just like buy Biosite stock and don't do any of this stuff? Like, why, 
Like, he's why did right. you? You he doesn't have any money. This is gonna happen. So he before doesn't have any money. going through with all of this, just buy BioSite stuff <laughs> and let it happen. <laughs> Because what anyway. happens when you work for the IMF, it's like being <laughs> Sam Wilson in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's like, I've been doing black ops for the government, but like my bank's empty. They don't pay very well. You do it for the you do it for your country. Shay, if you find out that Biosite is about to release a uh, a a virus into the air so that they can then sell everyone the antidote, do you tell people or do you buy Biosite stock? Oh, I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna buy so much biocide. I'm not telling anybody. <laughs> you're not telling anyone. You're actually telling I'm people get like so rich. You're like biocide kind of sucks. I hear that <laughs> that stock's gonna drop soon. Yeah, like, short biocide. Short biocide. Short biocide. Short biocide. The first, the first thing they'll hear from me about it is how rich I got off of it. That'll be the first time <laughs> I say later. it out. Loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so one of Ambrose's guys captures Ethan, which is, let me tell you, this is mistake number one that Sean Ambrose is about to make. Ambrose then is like, guess what? You got to die. He kills, he shoots Ethan. But Ethan, of course, was one of Ambrose's guys in an Ethan mask, and real (laughs) Ethan is now escaping on a motorcycle, the first motorcycle Mm -hmm. chase of the Mission Impossible series. And he's got the antidote. Ethan kills all of Ambrose's reigning guys, beats Ambrose's ass in slow motion on the beach, killing him too. And while all this is going, Naya's like, I don't know, I guess I'll jump off a cliff so I don't get everybody sick, but that would still get everybody sick anyway. But then Ethan comes through with with the antidote just with like minutes on the clock. And then Ethan and Naya... Live happily ever after. That's it. Ethan and I are together forever. <laughs> right, Jay? They're together until part three. And then they're not together. Yeah. <laughs> they were not together, together until they decided no more Tandy. She's another. I'm like, I would have loved to see her come back and like get a cool action role. I bet you I she thought she was going to pop up in, in this two. one. I really did. That I was, like, really I was waiting cool, for it. That cool, actually. Yeah. And give her like that big, chunky Rebecca Ferguson-style action sequence. Yeah. Because she never really got to have that, you know. This is... It was so funny. I I could have sworn in my head, like I was I was logging it on Letterboxd and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be like, this movie's really fun except for like when the government coerced a woman into like giving herself an evil virus made by her abusive ex or something and then she died. And then I was like, oh, she's just chill. Like, <laughs> and did that virus not have any problem in her body? Like it didn't cause anything. She's just like, it's fine. And then they're just in the park, which I feel like is a dangerous place for her to be. Shouts also to Brendan Gleeson for being in this movie for five minutes, a, a, di- mm-hmm. a guy dying of chimera. <laughs> yeah, and, he like, and, he, and, he's, and then he's fine as well because he's the head of Biosite. So he's yeah. also making a lot of money. Uh, Shay, your thoughts on Mission Impossible 2? We went from the, f- the best of the franchise to this is the least best of the franchise. There's not, there's not, let me say. They scrub pretty much all of Mission Impossible 2 from the franchise afterward. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. find mm-hmm. much of what was in there like you do in Mission Impossible 1. The one thing they do keep is the motorcycle stuff. Like that's yeah. They put Ethan Hunt on a motorcycle. We should be thankful for that. Because that one, <laughs> that one, much like the masks, always works. Just put them on there and let them go 135 miles per hour down an alley. And it's great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. It's wonderful. But beyond that, this is, this, is, this is in my last place if we're putting them all in order. That's where this one sits. And I love yeah. John Woo, a big John Woo guy. He perfected his style in 92 with Hard Boiled. Hard he Boiled. Like put mm-hmm. it all together. He shows up in America. He does Hard Target. And it's like, not quite. But then he does Face Off. Or I think he does Broken Arrow after that. But then Face Off. And yeah. you're like, 
there it is. That's what I was looking for. Thanks for yeah. mm-hmm. thanks for playing John Woo. And then he gives you Mission Impossible. And you're like, all right, whatever. I'll see you later. But <laughs> it happens. Like, <laughs> well, you know, it, it it is what it is. It's 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 the last place on the list. I think yeah. it, it, Mission Impossible is proof that you can give a director too much. You can level up too quickly, and I think he had too much money, too many resources, too much slow mo, too many doves, and it just became too much. You know what is what is cool though, and I'm sure we'll get to this when we get to to five, six, and seven. The thing that they're doing when they're bringing in different director each time, it's really from one to two. You see it the most in part one. Ethan Hunt very rarely, if ever, has a gun in his hand. Like, that's not a thing yes. that he does. Yes, yes, yes. Even it, all the rest of the characters in the movie, too. And then for this one, mm-hmm. it's like every single person is always pointing a gun at somebody else for the yeah. entirety of the movie. Like, that sort of stuff is is fun to watch in, in retrospect when you're going to, like, I'm going to burn through all of them and, like, mark the differences or mm-hmm. whatever. But, yeah, this is, this, is, this is last place. It's very interesting, actually, that you bring that up because something that I thought is really wild when you watch these movies and two definitely is the big turning point, but then they kind of, it goes back and forward. So like when you're a comic book person, right, one of the biggest arguments is like, does Batman kill? Because allegedly he has this rule where he says he never kills. And the Mission Impossible movies, I can have a pretty strong argument after watching these. These are essentially Batman movies and Tom Cruise is Batman and the villains are his rogues and blah, blah, blah. But like the first movie they establish this idea that, like, he doesn't want to kill anyone innocent. That's why they don't just kill that guy, right, and use his body. They they make him sick. And there's even jokes throughout the franchise about how, like, Ethan would go out of his way to not kill a security guard. And, like, people are like, that's his weakness. But in two, that lore is not there. Yeah. So I think that yeah. that is actually a yeah. big part. Like, like you said, Jason, he kills so many people. And I will say it gets a bit murkier as you go on because, like, he gets this kind of more vengeful streak, I would say. And he's like, got more people to care about but i do think that's one of the most interesting things which is the idea that in this morally gray space he does always have this moral where he's like trying to save people we move to mission impossible 3 2006 just kidding about ethan and naya living happily ever after ethan (laughs) has moved on he uh, is now engaged to the true love of his life julia a nurse who knows nothing of what ethan does and thinks in fact that he works for the Department of Transportation and I guess has to leave like in the middle of the night because of transportation emergencies (laughs) or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really weird. (laughs) He does a great job selling it and rhapsodizing about traffic patterns and being like, yeah, traffic is a memory. It's fucking amazing. It's really, really fun to watch Ethan pretend to be a normal guy. Now I will mention what is so fucking crazy about this movie to me. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Plays Davian. Killing he it. Is incre- he's the best villain of the series, in my opinion. And I think that J.J. Abrams, there's a lot of director churn in this. Fincher was supposed to do it, then Joe Carnahan quit, and they eventually got J.J. to do it. And I think J.J. must have been looking at this movie and been like, holy shit, the best thing we have is fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman. So they do something totally insane, which is put the end of the movie in the beginning. They <laughs> yeah, open, yeah, yeah. They, they open do it with, in media res, like the most extreme version. They open with five minutes of the confrontation between the hero <laughs> and the villain from the end of the movie in the beginning, which is so nuts. You don't think I'll yeah. do it? You don't, you don't think, think I'll, I'll do, do it? it? Oh, fuck. Oh. The, Where's the rabbit's foot? Only one thing is more unhinged to me in this movie than that choice, which is the needle drops in this movie are so insane. <laughs> like, I guess they had a lot of money. And because they wanted him to be like a normal guy, 
they were like, what songs do normal people listen to? But it's like the most famous songs in the world. There's literally a chase sequence where he's running down the street and they're playing We Are Family by <laughs> Sister Sledge. And it's just like, what is going on with the music direction in this movie? Like every song is like a, a cookout banger that like your uncle would play. It's like the, and it makes no sense tonally. It's very strange. So uh, Ethan... Uh, gets called to a meeting with uh, IMF ops guy John Musgrave. They meet in a convenience store. And he tells Ethan that uh, one of your colleagues who you had mentored and maybe are in love with, maybe have a, one of these famous... Cr- this is the movie that establishes Ethan as a guy who just gets crushes on, on people he Everyone. works with. So uh, your uh, ex-colleague, Lindsay... Um, is currently the prisoner of evil arms dealer Owen Davian. So Ethan uh, has a team assembled for him by John Musgrave. He goes to get Ethan out, but bef- and he gets her out. But before they can get all the way away, this explosive pellet in Lindsay's head detonates and she dies. And Ethan is really, really pissed. It's a gory, shocking scene. I will also say this sets up with the legend Kerry Russell. Yeah. This does set up women getting good action sequences. Because yeah, her and Ethan the, at the the the, the set piece where he's scene. escaping her as well, and then they're getting they kind of have to shoot their way out is like a very classical action sequence. I would have liked to see her stick around longer. Same, maybe we'll do a flashback. They got it out of there quick. When she when the thing goes off in her head, I love that it doesn't like just explode all gory oh, Quentin Tarantino it's so style. Gross. It's just her eyes go. <laughs> And you're like, oh, fuck, that, that's not fixable. It's really scary. It's and they, yeah. they keep the camera on it for a long time. Yeah, it's, a, it's very unsettling. Uh, Lindsay mailed Ethan a postcard from Berlin before she died and it contains a micro dot, which no one can read. Luther uh, shouts <laughs> to Luther, straight up asks Ethan, like, what's it? F- did you were you in love with Lindsay? Are you fucking Lindsay? And he's like, no, she's like my sister. But the hundred percent again, they fucked. Okay, so <laughs> uh, they take the microdot to Benji, his first appearance in the movie series, and uh, it he can't do anything with it either. But he does uh, get some stuff off a hard drive that tells them Davian will be in the Vatican doing a deal for something called the Rabbit's Foot, which we never really find out what it is. Incredible that they never tell you. I the love that. The movie. It's great. And at the end, it's a they, great idea. Yeah, the, it's great. I love it. At the end, they give him an option to find out, and he won't do it. He doesn't take it, so you never know. Ethan then tells Julia that, again, we've got this traffic emergency somewhere, and I gotta go. She's like, do you not want to marry me? And he's like, oh, yes, I do. Watch this. And they get married right there in the hospital. <laughs> Ethan then uh, breaks Cash. into the Vatican with his team, uh, which includes, uh, like, the least believable Italian road rage incident ever. And the moment when Ethan, when Ethan climbs the wall of the Vatican, oh lays on top and says, Humpty, Humpty Dumpty, Dumpty sat on a wall. <laughs> what? Did he okay. improv that? Like, who wrote that? 100% in? he improv that. There's no he way. He did, right? There's no way somebody wrote that. I feel like I did that. not make it the script pass, like, if it was in there. He, he improv. <laughs> Ethan and his team capture Davian. Ethan interrogates him. Uh, but Davian just talks about, like, I'm going to kill your wife. You have, a, you have a wife, girlfriend, someone you care about? I'm going to kill her. I'm going to hurt her. And Ethan is like, oh, yeah, watch this. I'm going to hang you at the fucking back of the airplane. Uh, But Davian doesn't crack because Davian knows that Ethan won't do it. Uh, But he does figure out what Ethan's name is because Luther keeps going, Ethan, stop! Ethan, stop! (laughs) Musgrave then tells IMF uh, director Morpheus that Hunt picked up Davian. uh, And unfortunately, uh, we think that his real name is Brassel. We think that Brassel is working with Davian because that's what the the microdot says. 
says they have finally decrypted the microdot. Sadly, Ethan does, gets this info too late, and there's an ambush of his convoy, and Davian escapes by a chopper, and he's staring at Ethan the whole fucking way. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, Davian already has a guy kidnapping Julia from the hospital. Like, that's happening in, at, like, in that moment. And Davian calls Ethan is like, get me my fucking briefcase because it has a location of the rabbit's foot. You have 48 hours. Start your watch now. And if you don't get it, Julia fucking dies. Uh, Brassel then has Ethan arrested, tied to a table, but he fucking escapes with Musgrave's help. And Musgrave points him to an apartment in Shanghai. Uh, Ethan and his team locate the rabbit's foot. Ethan Spider-Man's into the sky, into the building, steals the rabbit's foot, bass jumps to the street, and then calls Davian with five seconds on the clock, gets in a limo where he's like ordered to drink pure roofie juice. And when he wakes up, we're <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. Uh, this incredible confrontation between Davian and, and, and Ethan Hunt. And it's really like a fucking masterclass. Like mm-hmm. I watch this scene a lot just to figure out like how, how did, how does Philip Seymour Hoffman create this much intensity just repeating stuff? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Also, can I just say we get a rare moment. We didn't like it's it's kind of passing, but there is a, a mo- sequence in this movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing yes. Tom Cruise yes. playing Philip Seymour Hoffman and it's comedy like he <laughs> does so comedy good. he brings this like real What's understanding <laughs> of physical body. It's yeah. so good. It, you just immediately buy it. Like he he can go from that to doing this, like you said, this super intense, terrifying thing. And because we don't know what the rabbit's foot is, and we know that Ethan is telling the truth that he doesn't know, it's really scary. It's very very because scary. Ethan thinks he gave him the right thing. There's that he does this thing. Tom Cruise, where he's like he's trying to bluff, he's trying to bluff. Yeah, I'll get it. It's in Paris, and then finally he just like like. He's t- he's handcuffed to the chair, but he just like shakes in his handcuffs as if mm-hmm. like they're gonna break it. He could get out yeah. and get to Davian and strangle him, but he can't, of course. And Davian shoots Julia <gasps> in front of Ethan. But dun, guess dun, what? Dun. It was a fucking mask trick and one of the best ones of the whole series because they had me. You never even they I've had seen this me. movie so many times, and when I rewatched it this time, I was like, wow, I can't believe they killed Julia. <laughs> they had me. <laughs> I've seen it before. Musgrave pops up, and guess what? He's the real traitor. So, a great, so a great traitor move. And uh, apparently, Julia was Davian's translator, who you know failed him at the Vatican. So he decided to have her killed. What a fucking cold-hearted bastard he is! And he Musgrave put her in a mask. Put her in a mask. Musgrave has been secretly working with Davian to deliver the rabbit's foot, so that. The U.S., I guess, would have reasons to, like, nuke Al-Qaeda, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, America is always, I have to say, do love this. America is usually the bad guy in this movie. They do a really good job with that, where the U.S. government's always up to some shady shit that ends up causing these problems. Well, it's actually, like, his... Musgrave, who, by the way, is a piece of shit and says that Brassel only got the job because of affirmative action. Mm -hmm. Racist. But also, like, (laughs) his... His whole thing is we're not doing enough against her. We actually should just nuke him. Like we should just full Unhinged. strike nuke him. Anyway, he wants he's like, listen, I will give you Julia, but you got to tell me what's on the microdot. He's no one knows what's on the microdot. He still has no idea. Also, Musgrave is the reason Lindsay got captured. Blah, blah, blah. Ethan then asks for proof of life. Musgrave calls Julia. And Ethan is like, well, guess what? Now I have the location of where the cell phone that is near Julia is, and I'm going to break free. So he breaks free. He gets to Julia. He kills Davian by holding him in the path of a fucking truck. (laughs) (laughs) And then 
Julia uh, shoots two guys um, after electrocuting Ethan to stop the bomb in his head from detonating. Uh, and then they get married and she takes a tour of the IMF building. Which is, wait, hold on a second. You're letting her see the IMF? Also, like, not, not just that, but like IMF has a building. Because I will say, as you as you keep yeah. watching these movies, what IMF is becomes more clear and more unclear. So IMF is really just whoever just... Ethan Hunt chooses it to be. Like, it's just the crew and it's the just secretary. Crazy. So like, how do they have a building? And also like, yeah, how are you just taking your wife? Around on the a building. tour of the IMF building. Shay, your final thoughts on Mission Impossible 3. There was a there was a roller coaster in uh, Astro World in Houston called Grease Lightning. Mm -hmm. And the way that that roller coaster worked, you sit in it and uh, opposite of like a normal roller coaster that ticks its way up and then yeah. you drop down. This one goes from zero to like 80 miles per hour in three seconds, right? Just takes off. It's just some sort of magnet technology or whatever. Boom, out of there, gone. That's what this movie feels like, the way that it starts. You go from the credits mm -hmm. to yeah. this, to, to, to maybe the best back and forth that we get across the entire franchise. I think Philip, so. I with think Philip so. Seymour Hoffman, who is arguably the, the greatest actor of his generation, and Tom Cruise, who you forget because you're so used to watching him pirouette on a motorcycle. Oh, he's a really fucking good actor, too. And mm -hmm. it's just these two people going back and forth. You you get that, that great opening. This is the movie that introduces the idea, oh, we can be like, let's be funny sometimes. That's kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, we can be funny. There's campiness in this one. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. They do, they set it up really early with the party when Ethan gets a call and he just like throws it. The they just show him real quick, throw the ice chest out. <laughs> Honey, we're at ice. Yeah, and it, yeah, and yeah, it takes yeah, off. yeah. That's a really good gag. So you get the best. You get the best villain in the franchise. You get the introduction of the movie being the series being funny. You have the most surprising betrayal, which you mentioned with with yeah. uh, with Musgrave or whatever his name is. You have the fucking mask trick again. You also mm -hmm. you also have this is I think this is the first time they do. The, the, the like they try to make it look like a one shot where they're panning around while they're putting the mask on because yeah, it always looks so fake in the around. hands. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then they yeah, press yeah, it the down. The Philip Seymour like, Hoffman mask, yeah, 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 yeah. And they and they have some really cool tricks that they did, like practical, where they would have a different act that whoever the mask is supposed to look like, like sitting in front of him, and it looks like it's a mirror. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that's in one of yeah. the earlier yeah. ones, and it's like, and he's putting on that's really cool, man. I, I do, I feel like narratively. This movie is like a little bit jumbled. Like that's the one thing when I was watching it where I was just like, it's kind of like you said, roller coaster is a great description, I think, because I totally agree. The opening is like, boom, you're out there. But then there's like it meanders and it's it's still super fun. But there's definitely some moments where I was like, I feel like the, they edited it differently, maybe because they wanted to bring Philip Seymour Hoffman that stuff earlier in. So this, that's the one thing. But it's just like such a fun. Again, these movies are also fun to me to watch. Great action scene on the bridge. One of the, be mm -hmm. I think, one of the coolest action scenes in the movie too, where the the drone attack on the bridge just fun movie. Uh, this is the the fifth place movie. Yeah, yeah, that's your in your ranking. I would, I would, I, yeah. This is definitely down for me in the in the lower tier. But like I said, Same. I think they're all good. Same. It's a very for for franchise consistency. This is probably one of the most consistent franchises out there of any genre. <laughs> it's the best Here movie franchise we've ever gotten. I think it's an incredibly consistent movie franchise. There's no bad movies in this. N not really. Except two. Anyway, <laughs> except two, which is bad, but Wait, I still but enjoy it. Then, you can still enjoy watching it. Do you know, it's yes. not like so bad yeah. you have to turn it off. Well, now we will go to what is personally 
I admit that two is the worst, but this is my least favorite movie in the series. It's Ghost Protocol. 2011's Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible 4. Uh, Ethan, uh, things looked so great with Julia. He had come clean, told her his whole life, showed her the IMF building where he t- here's, the, here's the break room, honey. Now Ethan is divorced and in jail. Uh, <gasps> we open on a wonderful jailbreak uh, where uh, the IMF is getting Ethan out of jail because they need him to figure out the identity of Cobalt. Cobalt is some terrorist who has stole a bunch of Russian launch codes uh, because of a failed mission that involved uh, Sawyer from Lost. Ethan uses the jailbreak <laughs> as an opportunity to do a side mission, getting his buddy Bogdan out too. Uh, Ethan and his team, now including Benji, because he passed the field exam, and Jane Carter, infiltrate the Kremlin where they hope to find Cobalt's identity. But Ethan finds the drawer where the fucking thingy with the cobalt identity is supposed to be. It's fucking empty. And cobalt gets on the radio is like, hey, uh, what's up? The IMF's here. And then the Kremlin entirely blows up. And all of the IMF has been outed. They're on the hook for what is surely an act of war with the destruction of the of the entire Kremlin in Moscow. Starting another important franchise trope, which is touched on in the first movie. But the idea of like the IMF being disavowed, the IMF being shut down, Mm -hmm. and then the rogue nature of Ethan Hunt's missions becomes like a part and parcel of what has to happen because nobody's supporting them. Also, the jailbreak scene is fucking sick. Like the action where he's fighting his way out. They did such a good job. That one I feel like is, you're really starting to see the hand-to-hand combat influence come in in a way that hasn't before. That's also also the moment where where they like make it as loud and obvious as possible that Ethan Hunt is not Superman. He can't beat mm-hmm. up every single person. Yeah. Like they have the, it's a really great moment when they're during the jailbreak scene and he walks into the cell and then you just see him come out backwards with a bigger like guy. A seven foot tall yeah, guy. Yeah, and he's like, no, 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 you go ahead. You got it. You got it. Like they, get, <laughs> they start giving you those, those moments, which they play to, to great effect as the this franchise goes on and on. Yeah. So uh, everyone now thinks the IMF blew up the Kremlin. Ethan escapes from the hospital uh, just as he's about to be interrogated by this uh, Russian cop. I will get to this whole Russian cop plot line in a second at the end of this thing. And I explain to you why that is part of why this is my least favorite movie of the whole thing. Um, Ethan then goes to meet IMF director uh, Arthur Edens from Michael Clayton and his chief analyst, Billy Brandt, a.k.a. Hawkeye from the Marvel movies. Ethan... (laughs) draws a fucking great police <laughs> sketch of Cobalt on his head. Like, in fucking credit, in five seconds, he draws Cobalt's face. On his sweaty hand. Yeah, on his sweaty hand. And Brand is like, yeah, that's Kurt Hendricks. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way that they were like, we're going to have to do a lot of exposition in this movie, so let's introduce like a... An analyst who yeah. just, if you show him a picture of anyone, he knows who it is. That's so, like the best weird uh, expository it's so character. Fun. It's so silly. So Brent yeah, is like, yeah, that's uh, that's Kurt Hendricks. He's insane. He's got 190 IQ, former uh, Swedish Special Forces. He's crazy. He wants to blow up nukes. Uh, he apparently blew up the Kremlin so no one would know that he stole whatever the thing is that launches Russia's nukes, some device. Uh, and the president has, as you mentioned, initiated ghost protocol, meaning all of the IMF is disavowed. The director tells Ethan that you're going to fucking go to the chair for the attack on the Kremlin unless 
you like uh, maybe a right now and then you escape and then you go to this safe house which is hidden in a train where you'll meet the rest of your team and then maybe you find Cobalt. I don't know. It's crazy, right? Here's like a Sounds USB cool. drive with all the stuff you need that you took off me but you, know, you put me in a headlock and you got it off me and just as he's telling this whole spiel, they really are attacked. Russian security forces attack the SUV. Their director is killed and Ethan and Brand escape where they meet the IMF team at the, at the safe house disguised as a cargo train. Jane and Benji are already there. Ethan tells them everything that's happened, and they go to the Burj Khalifa, where the plan is to steal the codes from uh, the super assassin, Sabine, and also trink Cobalt uh, side into thinking that he actually has the codes. Uh, at the Burj, Benji discovers that the team needs to get into the server room by climbing on the outside, which is purely created so that Tom Cruise could be <laughs> on the outside of the Burj Khalifa. It's the only reason that this plot exists. Yeah, and they don't is- need to do it, but they did it so he could climb out there. And this one establishes, again, like, this is a major turning point in the franchise because this becomes the part where the big stunt that Tom Cruise does becomes the talking yes. point of the movie. Yes. So it's the it's the Fast Five, you know, the, the reboot yeah. of the franchise that people kind of... And I think that's why for other... Like, for people outside of the Zoom, this one is really ranks really high. It is also on the lower end for me. Um, but I do think, like, I like that because, you know, I've watched... I watch a lot of broadcast TV and a lot of old weird movies on broadcast TV and the amount of time that they spent on both real broadcast and on like Pluto, like fast stuff, showing a making of documentary that was like two and a half minutes long about Tom Cruise doing the motorcycle stunt in the new movie. So like that is how they're marketing it. It's not even a trailer. They're just like, look at the crazy shit he did. And that doesn't happen without the Burj Khalifa sequence in this that like you said it's just there yeah. so Tom Cruise can say he climbed it in real life <laughs> so uh, Cobalt's henchman Wistrom arrives and he's brought this cryptographer guy who can apparently look at codes and be like that's fake or that's real so now the team has no choice but to sell Wistrom the real codes Brant is like don't do it but then the mask machine breaks and so then they have to do this double ruse double buy ruse with their real faces Ethan as Wistrom meeting Sabine Jane as Sabine doing the worst French accent in the history <laughs> of this film series meeting Wistrom and the crypt guy and Benji plays a waiter uh, with fake with a fake arm. At the end of all this, Wistrom gets away with the real codes and it's bad. Ethan then is like, I know what we're going to do. I got a guy in town. It's fucking Bogdan from the beginning of the movie who introduces Ethan to an arms dealer who moves things along for them, gets them to Mumbai, where apparently Cobalt is going to buy a satellite so he can launch the nuke from the satellite. This guy's name is Nath. And he is incredible chewing the scenery. Just oh my God, chewing, he's going chewing, crazy. Chew, going fucking crazy. He was like, I'm in scenery. one scene. Guess what? I'm going to make the I'm most of it. I'm in a Tom Cruise movie, baby. I'm going nuts. In 15 years, when people are talking about this on a podcast, they're yes. going to talk about my scene. They're not going <laughs> to skip over it. He's like Jordan Poole, like going to put up every <laughs> fucking shot that he he's going to fucking take half court shot. He's going to bank him off the glass, whatever he can do. And here's what you know, need to know about Nath. He's a billionaire. He owns a media company. He has satellites, and he's so horny. He's so Ooh. horny that it like derails <laughs> his entire life and, and his plans and his whole plan. So that's how Jane gets close to him, and then she puts him in a headlock, gets the codes for him. Ethan and team pinpoint Cobalt, but before they can get to him, he launches a nuke. 
Long story short, Benji and team get the equipment needed to transmit the nuke code to disable the nuke up and running. Ethan gets the code and then everything is saved. Ethan has a big, big fight with Cobalt uh, in a Carvana car fucking <laughs> uh, one of those car vending machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, and I'm... I have to say, I think Cobalt fights a little too well. Like he's just a scientist nerd and he's like really hanging with Ethan. But then he jumps off the thing so that he'll die and can't be used to disarm the uke. But of course, Ethan punches in the code and uh, everything is saved. Their uh, their reputations are washed. Ethan introduces Luther to the new crew. Uh, We find out that uh, Brandt, who was guilty about failing uh, Julia and Ethan on their honeymoon and and leading which led to Julia's death we learn that actually the death was totally faked which Brandt is like weirdly relieved and then <laughs> Ethan gets a voicemail that this new terrorist organization is on the scene the syndicate uh Shay your thoughts about Mission Impossible 4 aka Ghost Protocol this is the sixth place one second to okay. last for me it feels I agree it feels when you watch it like they started to put together the thing like Rosie was saying about the alright we got some big stunts now like this is going to be the thing that we're doing but they hadn't all the way figured out the railroad track to go from one moment to the other to keep it moving mm-hmm. it felt mm-hmm. like like start and stop start and stop start and stop because the Burj Khalifa thing is really great the jailbreak thing is really great even in that last fight which is like a whatever fight he does that thing where he has to get to the bottom really fast so he's like I'm he gonna drives just, the car <laughs> I'm going to yeah. drive a car down yeah. 80 feet just right in the concrete. Like, that's a great, yeah. great... That's so fun. ...moment in the in the, in the the series. This is not a bad movie. This is one, like, I will, I will happily rewatch, but it's sixth place for me. You you can just feel that it's, like, it's 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 in between the old era and yeah. the new era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, fee- and you feel it. So I, I agree with that exactly, Rosie. So here's... I was explaining to people when I put this on Instagram, that's my least favorite. First of all, if you're going to watch four, why not just watch five and six? There's no... <laughs> Connective tissue, other than they mentioned the syndicate at the end of the movie. None and of the Jeremy plot lines Renner. carry Jeremy, over. Jeremy is there. Jeremy Renner is there, but you don't need to know any of the stuff. You don't need to know the Julia Ruse. You don't need to know any of mm-hmm. that stuff to just plug in with Brandt uh, in the next movie. And and here's really the thing that just sticks in my craw: the the cop storyline, Sidorov, this this Moscow cop that pursues Ethan across the world, thinking that he is like this master terrorist that brew up the Kremlin in what is like a disastrous act of war, an American agent blowing up the Kremlin, right? He pursues Ethan, gets all the way to the end, meets him at the bottom of the Carvana uh, vending machine where Ethan's fucked up because he drove the car down there and he's like concussed. And it is reve- Ethan then reveals to him, hey, we're actually, he says to, he says, like, we've been on the same side. I've been leading you all the way so you could see all this stuff. And Sidorov says, we are not enemies. And Ethan's like, no, no, we're not enemies. We're we're totally on the same side now. And then they just make up. Now, this is akin to if a New York cop tracked bin Laden to Tora Bora <laughs> in the in the in the weeks after 9-11 and then bin Laden was like no nah, I like actually led you here and like it's all like I didn't actually do that I'm innocent this is a whole thing and you should just go back and then 
All we know about the story is the cop comes back from Tora Bora and says, yeah, the main suspect in the destruction of the Kremlin, whatever, I let him go. I talked to him. He seems like a legit guy. Seems like a cool guy. <laughs> he seems like a cool guy. And we talked about it. And like, and uh, he's innocent. I, you just take my word for it. I know I pursued him like across the fucking globe. Uh, but Costing like I'm coming. the department like uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, but now I'm coming back empty handed. I know there's like thousands of dead at the Kremlin, but like. Uh, don't it wasn't him it wasn't him that's this this film series is full of ludicrous things that to me is one of the craziest things that could ever fuck that this cop would yeah. just be like yeah you're right I'm not gonna take you back <laughs> also, <laughs> also it's like they are they're, they're, they're half the time they're meant to be like serious antagonists and half the time they're comedy relief it's like you could just cut them out and we and didn't need the fine. cop. You could Never. have cut the whole cop thing out. We didn't need it. Anyway, Rogue Nation 2015, uh, up there for me. One of my, oh, me, I think there's times when I love then it's my, yes. I, it's yes. Now maybe we're my cooking. favorite of the new now era, we're right? Uh-huh. We are in the syndicate the era, folks. Yeah, the game changer. So we're in Minsk. Ethan sees it a pallet of nerve gas and here is that. Here is the stunt that sold the movie, which is Tom Cruise hanging off the side of a C-130 uh, aircraft. Really and they put it hanging, in the first five minutes. <laughs> really hanging off. Um, he gets the nerve gas off the plane, but the syndicate respond right away. The syndicate was going to buy this nerve gas. They respond right away. They take Ethan captive in a record store, forcing him to watch them murder this IMF agent who Ethan had developed a crush on within 30 seconds. Just, I was in <laughs> love with her. You could just tell. In D.C., CIA director Hunley, new character, yeah, proposes baby. that we got to get rid of the IMF. They're fucking everything up, and it's crazy, and we can't have this anymore. Ethan, meanwhile, is being tortured by the bone doctor. Unbelievable <laughs> that that got in. Unbelievable. And they play it completely straight. No puns. Yeah, I nothing. love it. Like, it's just like the bone doctor. But here's the, here's the thing about Ethan and the bone doctor. He's putting on a brave face. He's putting on a brave face because he's in the midst of developing a completely other crush on Ilsa Faust, <laughs> who is sitting in on the torture. Uh, her introduction to the series. Uh, she breaks him out. Ethan then realizes that the syndicate is made up of ex-secret operatives from around the globe, all of whom are presumed dead, but now he's got to go on the run with director Hunley vowing to catch him. Six months pass. Benji is lying on his uh, his polygraph tests all the time. And uh, meanwhile, he's been working with Ethan to to uncover the syndicate, and Ethan sends him opera tickets in Austria. He is in D.C., so he gets on a plane to Austria to go to the opera? Cash. Not even a thing. He won them. He won them in a contest. Remember? In a radio, he, just like, yeah, like, like uh, WPLJ 95.5 WPLJ, yeah. like answer who is the lead singer of Led Zeppelin and you get also, like yeah, tickets yeah, yeah, yeah. To, the, to, the, to the opera in Austria. Dude, one of my favorite things about this movie is like, it's so fucking good that you, there's so many like suspension of disbelief things that shouldn't work. But one of my favorite things is like, Nobody will believe, Ethan, that there is a secret organization of undercover agents working, even though that's what Ethan does. So they won't even <laughs> consider it. It does like, sound so crazy. Ethan is proof that this is like, Benji says it's the anti-IMF. And I love the fact that everyone in the government's like, nah, that could never exist. <laughs> it's like, bro, this sounds really legitimate, like it could happen. So at the opera, they, uh, Ethan and Benji almost 
foil the assassination of the Austrian chancellor, but his car blows up. And uh, Ilsa also escapes with Ethan and Benji's help. Ethan then thinks he's slick when he, they got it. So Benji's driving the car. They're escaping from the opera house. And Ethan is like, I gotta, I gotta, uh, I gotta patch you down. No, you don't. She, she's a spy. hundred. You just saw her with a sniper rifle. A hundred percent. She's got weapons. Let's just yeah. call it that. Like, but Ethan's like, I gotta patch you down. That's how it goes. He's like, that's just what I do, man. Um, Hunley goes on the warpath and says, kill Ethan and Benji on sight. Uh, Ilsa also in trouble because she's, uh, you know, in hot water with Lane at the syndicate. He's wondering if he can trust her. Um, that leads us to Morocco where Ilsa tells the boys that, yep, the syndicate is real. It was created by Solomon Lane, former MI6. And we are all here to break into an underwater skiff containing the names of all the syndicate agents that one of my colleagues stole before he died. Uh, uh, but and so they get the disc, but then they lose it because Ilsa just <gasps> fucking leaves. But it's fine because <laughs> it's fine because Benji made a copy. But wah, 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 you need the prime minister's like uh, biometrics in order to open his voice, his eyeballs, all that shit. Ethan and the boys get, then figure out that Lane needs this information. He must need the prime minister too, so he's going to seize the prime minister. Ilsa brings the disc to Lane because IMF told her, like, yes, you stole the disc, but, like, you're too good at your job. You need to go back. Um, But her boss also secretly erased the disc, so now Lane is super, super, super pissed at Ilsa. Ethan impersonates the director of MI6 to steal the prime minister's biometrics and the passphrase. This is one of the greatest mask gags in yeah. the whole series. Once again, just a great so mask good. gag. So good. And they have, they use, this is also a truth serum gag, which I feel like <laughs> we don't get enough of, which I love. Like, they have the truth serum and it's just like, so it's really easy for them to find yeah. out exactly what they need. Also, I will say, Ilsa introduces a very fun noir thing that we haven't really seen since the first movie. So I guess reintroduces, which is like, she's a real femme fatale. You don't know which side she's on as you're watching the movie. They do a really good job of showcasing her playing both sides, but they don't judge her for it. Is is very good character. Rebecca Ferguson smashes it. She's incredible. Um, We then find out after Luther decrypts the file that it's not a list of agents. It's a couple billion pounds in cash in various bank accounts. Ethan gets the director of MI6 to admit that he created the syndicate but then lost control of it, which Lane seized control of it from him. And he's been trying to frame Ilsa Faust for it. Uh, Lane has a bomb strapped to Benji, so Ethan will have no choice but to hand over the disc. But Ethan says, guess what? Here's a here's a the crazy new talent that we're introducing now for this movie. <laughs> yeah, baby. I have, I have memorized in like five minutes. I have memorized hundreds, if not thousands, of bank if not account hundreds numbers. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, of like bank account. There's two billion pounds in here of bank account numbers, and now I am the disc. You can't kill me. Let Benji go, and you can take me. Yada, yada, yada. Ethan always stands by his friends. And next thing you know, mm-hmm. Lane is in a box. Hunley goes back to D.C. to spin the whole thing as an elaborate IMF plan from the start. And he is now the new director of the IMF. Fantastic. Shay, your thoughts on Mission Impossible Rogue Nation? Man, listen. So if we look at this series, each movie objectively, I know that Rogue yes. Nation, not the best one. It goes one, six, five. That's the top three. One, the the original, then Fallout, then Rogue Nation. Mm-hmm. But when I rewatch Rogue Nation, this is the best one. That's what I feel yeah, like yeah, 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 in my yeah, in my chest. I agree. I agree. If we if we run through just the, the pieces you have the you you mentioned, we have the cold open with the plane where he hangs onto mm-hmm. the outside of the plane, where he has to wear special giant contacts in his eyeballs because <laughs> yeah, it's going yeah. so fast. <laughs> we get the introduction yeah. of the syndicate. 
which which saves uh, the the series in a way because nobody I, I agree nobody was ever going to be as good a bad guy as Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. From then forward, you had to do it by committee. You need a thousand yeah, bad guys. You need a collective. Yeah, yeah you need so, yeah, yeah, you need Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. So you get that. We get the introduction of Alec Baldwin's character, who's basically just doing his character from The Departed, which fucking rules. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> we get the introduction of of Ilsa Faust, the single best non Ethan Hunt character yeah, in the franchise. Nobody has she's ever incredible. been. Has ever been better. We get the underwater scene where, he, where Ethan Hunt dies and then she saves him out of nowhere. That is the first time that the franchise was able to recreate the magic of the Langley heist where it's just mm-hmm, like we're going mm-hmm. small and quiet again. They figured out how to do it. When I remember watching that in the theater and just being like, like almost hyperventilating, watching him run out of energy yeah. and then you see yeah. him floating dead. And they let him go around and you're like, fuck, there's no way out of this. And then out of nowhere, Ilsa Faust, the music comes in. She doesn't have a mask on or anything. She just grabs him and saves him. And you're like, fuck yes. So we get that part. We get the motorcycle chase where where he's chasing after Ilsa, which is wonderful. And she does that awesome trick where she just is like, fuck it. I'll stand in the middle of the road. He's not going to kill me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And throw him off. Which is wonderful. You get the mask reveal where we have probably what is the definitive um, Ethan Hunt like a cool thing someone says about Ethan Hunt when you have yeah. uh, when you have him doing the whole the manifestation of destiny speech. Yeah. And then you have <laughs> and then you have the the glass the glass box callback at the end of the movie because that's how Solomon Lane box, traps yeah. Ethan Hunt in the beginning. They just re- yeah. it's so it's so fucking good. It's so good. I love the glass box too because it does one of my favorite things about this movie which is like that these movies do which we get at the beginning of Fallout 2 where it's like in the moment when Solomon is trapped in that box, it seems like it's this unbelievably terrifying, scary, where is he? He's in the box. Like, this is the end of his life. And then the lights come up when he's passed out and they're just in, like, a car park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's just where they could put it together. Like, I love that kind of on... They make you believe that they're doing this stuff on the fly, even when it's the craziest, most intricate plan. And you feel like you're a part of it because you get to see the spycraft, you get to see the planning, and you get to spend time with the crew. Ving Rhames... In every movie. I love this for him. I'm so happy he's still there. Every time I'm like, where is he? My uh, secret favorite part of this movie is, so after they introduce the uh, the sketch artist talent that Ethan has in, in Ghost Protocol, and they do it again here where he draws uh, Lane and Ilsa Faust, and Luther figures out yeah, that yeah, yeah. Ethan is really into Ilsa Faust because he's like, look at these two drawings. Lane is like a stick figure drawing. And then Ilsa Faust <laughs> is like, like a bi- like shading. Yeah, there's like shading. Like and shit. <laughs> you know what? You actually call out a good point. This is really where they start to build the crew as like a found family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two, you get where you get those little moments of like, it's already already been there with Luther, but this is really the one where it's like, what do you care about the most? Who are these people? How well do they know each other? And then that obviously makes Fallout and Dead, Dead Reckoning hit so much harder. When um when I was rewatching this one, uh, this is probably the one that I revisit the most out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Just like a Same. fun fun one to to throw on. The part at the end when they trap Lane in the box, this always stands out to me. I did like go and research to figure this out. This is bulletproof glass or bullet resistant glass that yeah. they trap him inside of, right? So I'm going on the internet reading all about it. At minimum, it's like 20, 25 millimeters thick, right? And a 25 millimeters thick, that means per cubic meter, or per square meter, it's like 119 pounds. The box itself that they put him in is like six feet by seven feet on each side of the wall, which means this is like 19 square meters total, which means this, this glass box weighs 
over 2,160 pounds Damn. at minimum. <laughs> at minimum, it's 2,160 pounds. And at the end of it, Ethan Hunt just puts two hands on the side of it and sh- pushes it over like an empty refrigerator box. Yeah. Like it's nothing yeah. for him. <laughs> this so thing weighs as much as a Ford Focus. And he's just like, boom, <laughs> like nothing. Everything's like, God damn, I love this movie. I love this yeah. movie. That brings us to Mission Impossible Fallout. The syndicate has gone freelance since the capture of Lane. They are hired by a terrorist named John Lark, who uh, just wants to blow up more nukes. Ethan loves killing people. Loves that. Uh, Ethan fails at a mission to seize plutonium that is going to go to Lark, but they do manage to trick a nuclear scientist working for Lark <laughs> into unlocking his phone so they can, they can get uh, location on the terrorist. That and it scene is, is one so of good. The great, just like... Coming in so hot with one of the great, like, ruses in yeah. this series. Ma- ma- with the mask gag only playing, like, a minor part with Benji yeah. being, like, Wolf Lister. It's so fucking good. That's and they got me. ruse. They got yeah, me, me again with this one. You feel heartbreak. You're like, oh, my God, I can't. It happened to me this time. At the beginning, I was like, oh, I can't believe that they didn't save it. And then the, the attacks happened. And then I was like, oh, no, it's this part. This is so, it's so much fun. New CI director Sloan forces the IMF to take her agent August Walker on the mission to Paris to intercept Lark, who is meeting with his contact, the White Widow. Ethan and Walker accidentally killed the the guy they think is Lark with an assist by Ilsa Fast, who actually fucking shoots him. Surprise, surprise. What's she doing here? Uh, Ethan then goes to pretend to be Lark to meet the White Widow, and she's kind of into him, of course. Also, and, the White Widow is Max's daughter. I only realized yes. that this time. I was yes. like, oh, throwback to the first movie. Like, I love this. Very weird choice, but sure. The White Widow then tells Ethan that he can, who she thinks is Lark, that he can have the plutonium, but you have to help us break Lane out of prison. Ilsa won't tell Ethan why she's there, and she reminds him that I said, let's run away together, and you said no. So this is, you just have to deal with this. <laughs> Walker then tells Director Sloan that Ethan and the White Widow are going to break out Lark. And by the way, I think that Ethan is secretly Lark, and he's now leading the remains of the syndicate. You should look into this. And Sloan is like, I think you're onto something. Ethan participates in the convoy attack, but he, as Rosie noted, is Batman, doesn't like killing innocent people, Mm -hmm. and so he figures out a way to do it that doesn't kill any cops. Uh, And then he leads the police on probably the best motorcycle chase in the series, like through the streets of Paris. Oh, it's so good. He also does fall in love with a brunette cop momentarily. For, fast, for 10 seconds, fast. he for falls 10 seconds, in love with her. 10 he speaks French and he to her and he falls, in, yes, he falls in love with her. Absolutely falls in love with her. Uh, and then here we go. I think this could be the best gag, mask gag in the whole thing. Ethan and friends then use an incredible switcheroo. Here's Lane and now here he's gone. This is mask the slickest gag. one. It's very, very slick to get Walker to admit that he is Lark and he's working with Lane. But apparently the CIA is so rotten with syndicate people that they all, when they're called in to take fucking Walker away, they then help him escape. Ilsa joins the team. They head to a glacier where Lane is planning to blow up nukes in order to destroy the water supply of one third of the world. Uh. Also, Julia... Ethan's ex and her current husband works there with Doctors Without Borders. Because they were like called there maybe by the syndicate to fuck with him. Like it's very bleak. 
The team and Julia then manage to uh, defuse the bombs while Ethan fights Walker on yet another vertical action scene on a helicopter and then on the side of a cliff. Ethan kills Walker slash Lark. Lane goes back to jail. That leads us to the next movie. Shay, your thoughts on Mission Impossible Fallout? It's a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I agree. No question. From beginning to end, action pieces, uh, the, the plot itself, the dialogue, the way that it's shot, Every single thing about this is just as good as it can possibly be. Henry Cavill is incredible in this role. He needs to be more villainous. So he needs Henry to be Cavill in more villainous so roles. Like he's always a dick. He's so much from the fun. beginning. They they have like a thousand one liners in there that are just really fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's so many good ones. Obviously, the famous moment where he cocks his muscles before he starts punching. You know, in yeah. the bathroom fight, like so good. The uh, the part of him getting tricked by the the Solomon Lane mask. Is just really, really great because they set it up early in the movie when they introduce him the first time. Yeah. And he's like, people really fall for this. And you're like, they're going to get you then. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's they're, what's going to happen. For and it still <laughs> surprises he realizes, <laughs> When he realizes, he's like, it's just a bunch of people wearing mo-, And he's like, oh, shit. They, and then they get the, uh, they, then they have that great moment when Ethan is riding around with Solomon Lane in the car and Ilsa <laughs> shoots at him. And then he sees, and then Solomon with that, like, his voice is just like this acidic spray that comes out. <laughs> yeah, And yeah. he just goes, that was Ilsa. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And then, and then Ethan Hunt tells him, shut up. And then they just go like, it's fucking, so it's good. so, you have Superman versus Ethan Hunt in a helicopter mm-hmm. fight. Half of his face burned off in acid. Two-Face. It's so, yeah. oh my God. It's so great. I believe that Alec Baldwin was like, hey, let me fuck up uh, Superman a little bit. And they gave him that very, very short sequence in yeah, yeah. After the yeah, Mask yeah, gag yeah, yeah, yeah. where Hunley like goes toe-to-toe with Walker for like a period of time. I do. <laughs> before, I getting, before getting he's, stabbed. He's like, if I'm going to get killed off, you got to let me do it. This movie is very important to me, not because it is obviously, like Shay said, a masterpiece, but also because it is adds to my favorite subgenre canon, which is bathroom fights. Like, great. this is one of the all-time great bathroom It's the best. It's Prob- the best. Probably the most brutal fight in the entire series. Guys going yeah. through walls. When Walker flips not Lark through the, wind, through the fucking mirrors, it's so good. Yeah, it's so, so good. good. Like, this, Eastern Promises, Street Fighter, The Legend of yeah. Chun-Li, it has a legendary bathroom fight as bad as the movie is. Like, you know, there's just so many Karate Kid, like, Bathroom fights are such a weird, specific thing, but this one is, oh yeah, this one is just so grotesque with it and like brutal and bloody. And you get that great moment with Ilsa when the guys come in afterwards and she pretends that that Lark was having a nosebleed, but it's like the hugest bloody part. I mean, this movie is, (laughs) this is the one I think where they, they work. I love Rogue Nation. I feel like that's a really great spy thriller. This is the one where I think you can really say, like, fun. Like, they knew these movies could be fun, and they were like, we're going to make this yeah. one as fun this as is, possible. This is, this end is the end, one. It's fun. If you're ever going to argue that one of them is better than the first one, it has to be this one. Yeah, yes. I think for most people, this is the top of the ranking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also has in there what I would argue is the single greatest line across the franchise's history, and it's Angela Bassett when she's talking with 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 Alec Baldwin and she tells him you use a scalpel i prefer a hammer and she's like talking about two humans that are standing yeah, right yeah. there she's like this is, yeah. this is just instruments i use to bludgeon people uh-huh. to death i prefer uh-huh. a hammer so fucking cold up next mission impossible dead reckoning part 1 
You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Stepping out of the airlock to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which we have all recently seen. Uh, wow. Great movie. Uh, let's start with you, Shay. Shay, your thoughts on uh, Dead Reckoning. Uh, I loved it. It was absolutely worth it. It was absolutely worth rewatching all of the movies again. Mm-hmm. The uh, It was like, it felt for the first time in a long time, like a movie event is what it felt like. Like I found yeah. myself as we were getting ready to leave that we do the, in the summer, my family would do summer movie club. So like the mm-hmm. five of us. We go every week to go watch a movie. Every we, we we went yesterday and watched The Flash. Woof, so bad, <laughs> so bad, so bad. Don't do it. But the week before it. that, we went and saw Mission Impossible. When it, it came out on that Thursday, we got like early tickets. We were all ready, and I caught myself preparing everybody because I wanted them all to like understand the lore, understand mm-hmm. all of the pieces. My sons especially, and I'm like, hey, when he jumps off, the, there's gonna be a part when he jumps a motorcycle off a cliff. He did that for real. That's real life. Like, I need you to understand that's mm-hmm. real. Yeah. Isn't that, like, I'm explaining that stuff. We're sitting there watching it. This is one of the few times where I look down because I always sit on the far left. It's me, Laramie, my, the baby who's a, a 10, about to be 11, and then the twins who are 16. And, and, and all the other movies, when I look down, they're on their phones. Or like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I look down on this one and they're not on their phone. And I was like, fuck mm. yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're in. And we get to the, the, the cliff jump and he fucking jumps. They show you like 25 different angles. Like this is really yeah, about to happen. And then he goes, like he did it. And then he goes off and it just goes quiet. Just quiet. It was silent in my theater too. You, you, just like absolutely silent. You felt everybody go. <gasps> and like holding yep. your breath watching to see. Like you know he's not going to die. But this is a guy doing this mm-hmm. for real. Completely, completely quiet. Completely quiet. And then out of nowhere. It just comes back in. You hear the wind. You feel it's, oh my God. I fucking love this movie. And then that's not even the best part of it. The best part of it is the train falling yes. piece by piece. Yes. Fucking forget they, about it. The, the, so the train is my favorite part because they, you know, ever since the first movie, vertical action scenes have been mm-hmm. a big thing. We mentioned the Carvana the vending machine. Uh, you know, various of the Mission Impossible There's 2, the Biosite building. the train, Henry, the like, helicopter dropping. The helicopter jumping thing. Mm-hmm. And here they've figured out a way to do it again in a manner that we've never, I've never seen this. Like, it was kind of stuff from, like, Inception where the, you know, but, but it, it looks was not. like it was done for, like, real as well like you feel those like they did gravity it. moments yeah it was clearly in like they in had, i guess built a fucking train car and just hung it on its side mm-hmm. and it was just really 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 cool and i i was sitting there going fuck i don't think i've ever seen anything like this before i feel like christopher mcquarrie really loves uh jurassic park 
The Lost World, like the second Jurassic Park movie, because there's the really famous trailer sequence where Julianne Moore gets knocked off the cliff in the trailer by the mum T-Rex. And this is like, what if you did that in camera 10 times because mm-hmm. you just get that one I know it just kept going it was through. like now but this one it's like every time the train right. is falling and I have to shout out as well like I think something that this movie does that's so brilliant I love the Hayley Atwell character in this I love like the the shifty English pickpocket who kind of tests him and by the time that you get to the train sequence with the two of them their chemistry and the way that they kind of intuitively understand what the other person is going to do makes this action sequence so believable, even though it's so ridiculous. Like, it's so good. And also, I will say, this is like edge of your seat cinema. Like, I was so worried about the fate of these characters, even though I know they're going to continue on, you know? But it has you feeling that visceral feeling of like, oh shit, can they do it? Can they land it? Are they going to yeah. survive the train? Like it, it's so good, and it's it. That's a two-hour, forty-minute movie. That shit zetted past in the theater. Like I never checked my watch. Yeah. It was not like when I saw Indiana Jones where I could really feel the time. It was like when it got to that ending, and I knew it was going to be the part two. I was bummed. Like I didn't want it to end. I wanted to know what was going to happen next. The train thing, I think, is if you're trying to show somebody what makes the Mission Impossible franchise special. You pull you pull that up and you show them mm. that, and and all you can and all you have to tell them is that this train is about to go over a bridge that's going to explode because we've seen that exact thing in a hundred different yes. action movies. Yeah, and what happens is the the bridge explodes, the train goes over, the people make the jump at the very last second, mm-hmm. and it's and it's over and it's done, and they do it this way where they just stretch it out for several minutes, and you're like, yeah. Like, I can't believe nobody had thought to do a version of this the way that they do right? it. And every single car presents different obstacles. They, they're in the yeah, kitchen car like the, and everything they, is slipping. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was like, why did they pick the Orient Express? That seems like very specific. Like, is this an Agatha Christie riff? No, it's so you can have a kitchen car. It's so you can have a dining yes, car. It's so yes. you can have expensive china falling towards them. When they're running through and they have to avoid the hot oil. Yes. That's like yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. And by the way... This is the last 15 minutes of an incredibly exciting movie. And this is the part we're talking about because when you leave, you're still thinking about that train sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the when when they are, uh, separate of that, when they are, we haven't even talked about Isai Morales, who is like, oh, oh yeah. my God. So Just great. A, a great evil face. But when he yeah. has the when he has the showdown on the bridge with, with Haley Atwell and Rebecca Ferguson, and and Ferguson shows up and he says, I was hoping it was going to be you or something. Yeah. I remember when that part happens, again, Ilsa Faust, my, my favorite non-Ethan Hunt character in the movie, she's so great all the way through. I was like, they better fuck it. She better not die right now. She better fucking mm-hmm. die. I was watching that like I was watching a playoff game. And I was like, don't yeah, you yeah, fucking yeah. do it. Like, <laughs> don't you fucking do it. I, could, I couldn't believe watching that. You get to the end of this m- movie, she's gone. Haley is there now. And I just remember watching it and being like, what the fuck was Dr. Strange thinking? Killing her off. And like, t- like she, they kill her <laughs> off. So like, what are you doing? She's incredible. Dude, she's so good. And she can do the action. I loved her costuming, which was like this super like 70s weird costuming. She always seems, <laughs> yeah. And like the big blouses. But yeah, then yeah, she's yeah. like doing, and the action in this movie, like that bridge scene where Elsa's essentially like fencing with Asa Morales, but he only has a short knife. 
Yeah. That's like such an inventive, weird way to do read. I was that. like, where'd the sword come from? It was right? just like pulls she out a sword out. all of a sudden. <laughs> and you don't question it. You're like, she carries that thing around. Like, I believe it. But also, you know what I thought was really good about this movie that I didn't think would necessarily work? The the main plot line is like, you know, about AI. I actually thought the way they did it was like really cool. I loved the moment where they went into the party and the party just was AI. Yeah. Like the entity was the party. And I kind of like the idea that, you know, the, the Gabriel, the, the Morales character is like, I really like the idea that he's almost like a fanatic about the possibilities of what that could entail. I just, that could come across as super corny and dated, even though it was only made like two years ago. But I thought they did it in a way that was fun enough that it felt like quite relevant and scary. And there's a lot of good betrayals in this movie too. That yeah. was another thing I liked. What's the what's the woman's name who plays Paris? Palm Clementif. Palm Clementif. Yeah. Incredible. So sick. She did so much. I That's what I wanted to talk about because she did... She has barely any lines in this movie, although mm-hmm. she's in it for quite a bit. But she transmits, like, so much about her character and just, like, the excited, the way she drives the truck and the looks on her face when she's fighting Tom Cruise. And she's fucking fantastic in this movie. And, and one of the great, I now have developed a crush on Ethan Hunt uh, <laughs> yes! plot twist yes, in yes, the yes, whole yes, series. Yes, yes. Ethan Hunt doesn't kill her after they get in a fight. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she's like, you know what? Seems I pretty cool. I, would, I, I think, think I, I like would crush guy. on this guy. I'm going to help him at the very end of the movie. It's like so rare to see a relentless henchy character who is a woman and she's like fucking running down a train she's like so it good. does not stop her like she's, she's so great driving that crazy van in like a tiny kilt with like dr martin boots i love this character i think one of the things this movie does that i think is really exciting and works really well it essentially sets up like a new crew or additions to the mm-hmm. crew yeah i think in part two the crew is going to be expanded and i think we can definitely expect to see pom i love the choices that she or the makeup artist or whoever together collaborate made there's so many shots just of her face yeah where yeah. she's great got face. this like yeah. slightly great, great face this the slightly kind of like blurry like almost like the crow like eye yeah. makeup with the kind of greasy hair it could have been it feels like one of those great roles kind of like ripley and alien where it's like it feels like they didn't necessarily gender cast that character yeah, but Pom and just, it just, like, just killed the it. The best that, performance. Again, that, that scene where she is chasing them, they're in the, the mini, and she's chasing oh, them in like this so armored car. And they keep cutting to her like being excited about yeah, the chase yeah, yeah. and being and, and it's like and just like unnecessarily smashing through like so 50 scoopers. Com- and like laughing about it. It is so compelling. She's so good. In, she make, just makes the most of her Definitely role. Definitely the Harlequin of the of the yeah. Mission Impossible Batman lore. One of the uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about what they do with these characters, um, and you saw it especially with Ilsa when she showed up, and that it's in that first fight in Rogue Nation when she's helping Ethan Hunt escape, and she's doing like a bunch of like aerial jujitsu, just like yeah. like getting legs around heads and flipping, yeah, by, like using. Using the, the the momentum of gravity uh, to to fight, and they do the same thing with with Paris here when she's fighting with Tom Cruise. Like the one time she really has them is when she's up in there and she's got her legs and she's pinned them against the yeah. The th- it's such a smart move to do with a person who's like has a slender body frame because yeah. it's still scary and like oh fuck if they get 
when she's fighting Eastside Morales, you're like, just get your just get your legs around his mm-hmm. neck and it's a fucking wrap. Yeah. Like just get a like you're just praying for it to happen. It's su- yeah. it's such a such a fun thing to watch. Thoughts on the return of Kittredge back again after after a 20 year absence from the series. So is he is he the buyer? Like, was he trying to buy it? And does Haley Atwell's character know? And she's just acting to save her own skin by being like, Ethan told me I could trust you. Because she didn't mention to Ethan that he was the one trying to buy the entity. So, like, I'm interested. Like, is he antagonist? Is he ally? Like, I think that's going to play big into the next movie. I agree. And I will say a notable lack of betrayals in this part one of Dead Reckoning. So you do wonder, like... Who is going to double cross Ethan? Because it has to be coming. Yeah, more. It's actually more like the betrayals are other people betraying people to be on Ethan's side. Yeah. Which is yeah. kind of an inversion of what we've come to yeah. expect, where everyone's always betraying Ethan. Let us now do our rankings, our final rankings. Shay, you've done yours. So, Rosie, your rankings of Mission Impossible movies. One. Okay. Six. Mm-hmm. Seven. Five. Two. Four. You missed three. Three. Oh, you know what? That's it's always narratively. I, I counted them too. That's uh, from top to bottom, right? From from yeah, best yeah, to yeah, worst. yeah. So one is the best for me. Six is next. Then five. Then three. No, seven's so good. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to write it. I'm gonna have to write it visually. Jason, what's yours? Okay, here so I go. I note it down. One, six, five, seven. Although six. All this, I need to let seven sit a little bit more, but I'm going to say it. One, five, six, seven, three, two, four. I have four as my, I, I, I acknowledge that it is technically a better film than two, but I'm just going off straight emotion. I'm <laughs> just going off straight so emotion and, and the, and the movie so that I, that I will rewatch more. And frankly, yeah. like I, I, if I ever, I'm like, do I want to watch Ghost Protocol? Then I just skip immediately to five or six. Like, I'll just skip ahead to Syndicate Era because I just, I, I don't need it. Um, Shay, your, 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 your final rankings. Um, one, six, five, seven, three, four, two. Wait, I, I, it sounds like we're all pretty much aligned Yeah, here. it's yeah, pretty, we're all pretty much aligned. I'm basically, I'm one, six, five, seven. So same. And then yeah. I'm probably going to put two higher because I just love that John Wick style. Yeah. Then three, then 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 three and four. I'm going four and then three. Three is for me the narrative nature of it, and Philip Seymour Hoffman not being in it enough push it. But honestly, I really do like on grading on a scale. These movies are all like one or two percentile difference until you get to that f- final new ones where they kind of just blow up to a whole different level of quality. So, Shay, part of the reason we're having you on here is, one, you're a huge fan of the Mission Impossible series. Two, yes. you're a huge fan of action movies. Yes. And three, you have a new project that marries those things together. Tell us about it. Yes, it's called the Action Hero Scouting Report. It's much the much uh, like how they do scouting reports for basketball players. You know, with regard to basketball, this player is yeah. good at this and bad at this and good at this and bad at this. It's like that. But it's action heroes, so it's with regards to action movies. Now, um, this this hero is good at this and bad at this and good at this and bad at this. And there you go. It's 27 of them. Uh, you get it at halfwaybooks.com. Ethan Hunt is in there. You should, yeah. you should check it out. Every action hero gets an action hero score. 
um, the way that we that we set that up is we have like a grading rubric that has six factors in there. There's the inciting event. Like what's the thing that thrusts this action hero yeah. into action? Like how compelling is it? How interesting is it? Uh, there's the determination. An action hero is going to be tested, put in impossible situations with, impo- uh, with impossible odds. Uh, how determined are they? There's the skills training. What sort of skills does this person possess? There's a cool mm-hmm. factor because action heroes, above all other things, need to be cool. Uh, there's what what we're calling wishnificance, which <laughs> it's a it's a made up word that we're defining as like that feeling you get when you're watching a movie when you're like, I want to be I want to be Beatrix. Kill. Yeah, I want to yeah. be Ethan Hunt. You know what I mean? Like how significant is that? I love you look that. At, if you look at like Jet Li, we'll use Jet Li as an example. Jet Li was in a movie called Romeo Must Die, and in Romeo Must Die, he flirts with Aaliyah. And he plays, mm-hmm. he scores yes, he a touchdown does. playing park football. <laughs> yeah. And he karate kicks a guy in the head so hard that the guy's shine, spine shatters. That's a very high wishnificence level versus another Jet Li movie, um, Unleashed, where he's just a human dog. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. be, I don't want to be. Choices. Very, one. very strange choices. And then, and then the last one, uh, the last category is legacy level. So, like, how did this action hero affect? Um, alter, mm-hmm. move forward the action movie genre or the action hero as a as a character in one way or the other. You add all those up, you get your action hero score. But there you go. Okay, can you tease, just because I'm obviously going to read this because I love action movies, can you tease, like, who are some of your top? Who who's, who are some of the ones who scored highest? Oh, man. Okay, well, Rambo is in there. Rambo scores, of course, very high. Jonathan mm-hmm. Rambo. John McClane. <laughs> John McClane scores very high. Jonathan McClane. Um, who else is in there? Uh uh, Furiosa, nice, oh, Furio. nice yeah. high score. The Bride, Whoa. Neo. Oh, of course. But we 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 bounce around. What I didn't want to do is I didn't want to be like these are the twenty seven best action heroes. We're yeah. all over the place. We have Chev Chelios from Crank. He gets a scouting yeah, report. That's <laughs> it. That's the, you're talking about the weird shit now. That's yeah. why. Like. We get uh we got we got Mike and Marcus from <laughs> Bad Boys Two. We get Cameron <laughs> Poe from Con Air. Like. We're all over, we're, we're all over it. Come 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 grab a copy. Halfwaybooks.com. Well, Shay, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you. Yeah, this, this was, was so an incredible much fun. time. Big thank you to Shay Serrano. That's it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Yeah, come see me, San Diego Comic Con. It's almost time. It's gonna be a weird year, but I'll be there. You can check my Instagram to see where. And obviously, come back and just listen to us talking about cool stuff. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision Friday, July 21st for more Secret Invasion. You can watch full episodes of the podcast on YouTube and check out our Twitter at XRVPod. Follow us there and also join the Discord to hang out with a bunch of cool people who love all the same cool stuff as you. Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. Five, 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 we five, five, need five, them. Five. We, you got to have them. We gotta, you got to give them to us. Here's one from DC Eagle 123. Dark Knight episode was truly amazing. I love this podcast. Thanks for creating something that brings so much joy to so many people. Just awesome. Thank you, DC Thank you Eagle so much. 123. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Awa Okalati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time. Bye. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.